streets. Uh, we weren't here a couple of weeks ago in the morning, and last week we were out on the streets doing Community Sunday stuff. So great to see you. Um, we are in the middle of um, a series which we have called Consecrate Yourself. Perhaps if you can put the first slide up for me, thank you. Um, Consecrate yourself. Um, based on this uh, verse in Joshua, consecrate yourselves, the Lord says, uh, he tells Joshua to tell the people of Israel, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. We've been exploring the idea of consecration to God. Consecration, the word meaning being set apart, being made special, being separated. And although this instruction was for the Israelites who were being led by Joshua into the promised land, we felt very specifically that as a church this was a challenge to us as a community of believers that in this season that the Lord was inviting us to consecrate ourselves to draw close to God for this season to prepare ourselves for how and where the Lord might want to lead us next we have no idea how long this season of consecration will last by the way it might be a few weeks it might be a few months <laughs> hopefully the rest of our lives probably but we are just trying to respond to what God is challenging us to do. And so we've looked at different aspects of how we might respond to that practically, how we might as individuals live this out in our everyday lives. You can catch up with various talks online. I talked about something called circumcision of the heart two or three weeks ago, about the cutting away the parts that stop us relating to God. Um, Laura talked about um, fitting or rather trying not to fit into culture uh, from Romans 12. I loved it. She, she read us Romans 12 from the message. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And just encourage us to think about that. And so we've looked at the how we might respond to consecration. But today I want to sort of t turn a corner, still staying with this overall theme, but start to ask a different question, perhaps in some ways a more fundamental question, which is why? Why would someone want to make a decision to deliberately be set apart for God. Why would you do that? In the Old Testament, you see, God's people traveled en masse. They were a whole community moving together, responding together, worshiping together, consecrating themselves together. It was what you were doing. You were born into that community, and you responded with the community, and you essentially did what everyone else was doing and, and followed in. Today, things are a little bit different. And we live in a culture where, basically, broadly, you can kind of live the life that you choose to live. I mean, I know that in some places there are restrictions on freedom, but for us, basically, it's up to us to decide the values and principles that we're going to choose to live by, as long as we're not breaking the law. And so I'm guessing that if you found your way to this church, then it's because in some way, for some reason, you are interested in finding out about what it is to live the values and principles that Jesus taught in the Bible. Now, I don't know where you are on that journey. You might be in all sorts of different places. But people come to a church like this for a number of reasons. And whatever your reason for coming to this church today is or any time is, first thing is you're really welcome. Thank you for coming. Maybe you wouldn't at this stage call yourself a Christian or a believer or a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're just trying to find out more about what that entails. And if that's the case, then you're more than welcome. And I hope this talk is helpful for you as you, as you kind of go on that journey. Maybe... You're someone who has recently connected with God for the first time. And you actually want to know how to continue that journey, how to live out the journey of following Jesus. Maybe you're someone who's reconnected with God recently and you need some encouragement and some help to live out this Christian life. Or maybe you've been a believer for a long time 
and you consider yourself, this, this, this is your church community and you've been a fully part of it for many years. Whatever the reason is, whatever, wherever you are on the journey, you're really welcome. And today, what we want to do is we want to look at what it is that we are set apart for. What is the ultimate purpose of going to any church? What is the ultimate purpose of coming to this church? What are the kind of lifestyles and values that God is inviting us into? And the way that I want to look at that is by thinking about the phrase of apprentices to Jesus. Now, I fully want to acknowledge that this isn't my material. This comes from a guy called John Mark Comer. But he describes it so beautifully that I figured out um, it was just really worth a bit of exploration. What are we doing here? Why are we here? What is the purpose of the Christian life, and I would say that the purpose of what we're all about here is to learn to be apprentices to Jesus. What do we mean by an apprentice? An apprentice means a student or a learner, someone who is linked up to a master, someone who is on a journey of growth and learning alongside them. In our culture, the apprentice is pretty much known for this phrase, you're fired, you know? It's a catchy catchphrase, on that TV show, but it isn't actually what apprenticeship is about. It's not about being fired. The whole of the point of that TV show is that they're all on this competition so they can get to be an apprentice to someone who's a proven, experienced businessman who can teach them some stuff and who they can learn from. I had a look at the... um, I just had a quick look at what had happened to all the people who won The Apprentice over the last 12 seasons or whatever. And uh, most of them... Most of them done all right, actually, um, and most, but most of them didn't stay with Sir Alan for many years. They kind of did their two or three years working with him, learned what they needed to learn, and then moved on to do their own thing. Interesting, that. One or two fell out, and um, one or two are still in business partnership with him. But the point is that, um, oh, and then I think there might have just, this is just me, I could be wrong here, I think there might just have been one or two who were in it for a TV career rather than for, to be Sir Alan's <laughs> apprentice, but... Whatever. Um, apprenticeships are common in our society, aren't they? They're where someone joins a business or a trade and they work alongside someone who already has a set of skills on a program of learning the job. Maybe you're in one, maybe you've done one. I looked this morning online and currently in the Winchester area, there are jobs advertised, apprentice jobs advertised in lifeguarding, customer support, nursery assistant, chef social work, business administration, and recruitment consultant. You could sign up online and go and find out about what it is to be an apprentice in any of those lines of work. So organizations are looking for people who they can employ and train to do the jobs they need. And apprentices to Jesus are people who have chosen to walk alongside him and learn from him so that they can do the things that he did. It's a long-term relationship, an intentional journey of discovery. Apprentices to Jesus have three goals. And again, this is down to a guy called John Mark Comer, some great teaching. It's very simple and it's very straightforward. The three goals that apprentices to Jesus have are, number one, simply being with Jesus. Simply abiding, just spending time. Number two, becoming like Jesus, growing in maturity and faith. And number three, learning and doing the things that Jesus did. And all of those things happen in the context of a community. Being part of a group of apprentices who are all on this journey of learning the ways of Jesus together. Jesus didn't use the word apprentice. He used the word disciple. I'll talk about why we're using that word in a minute. It kind of means the same thing. 
Right from the start of Jesus' ministry, though, his intentions were really clear. He was offering an alternative way of doing life, and he was offering training and input in doing that. You can read in the calling of the first disciples in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. He called them to follow him. And he said, you're doing this, but I'm going to teach you something else. I'm going to teach you a different way. I'm going to teach you something else. There must have been something about Jesus There must have been something about him that made them almost immediately sign up for the program. You know? They jumped right in there. Later on, you can read in Luke um, chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus said this, A disciple is not above his teacher. He said this, But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So Jesus knew that what they were entering into was a kind of teacher-pupil relationship or a master-apprentice relationship or a leader-disciple relationship. The ultimate goal of a disciple, as Jesus says, is to be like his master, to be like his or her teacher. And by the way, that whole idea, that whole concept of being a disciple is not something that Jesus started. This was already well-established in both, the, Jew, in both um, the Jewish culture and in the Greek and Roman world. There were all kinds of leaders and teachers who had, their, had disciples. They had people who followed them and walked with them and journeyed with them and worked with them and learned their ways. And so Jesus wasn't originating this concept. He was borrowing it from something that was going on in the world around him because it described beautifully what he was calling people to do. And in fact, one more verse, uh, one more passage in Jesus' last kind of instruction to his followers, which we call the Great Commission, he said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This was his, the, the, the instruction he left them with go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Why are we being consecrated why is God calling us to be set apart it's to get to a place where we are the disciples or the apprentices of Jesus where we enter into a relationship whereby we get to learn everything that he has for us and when we do that the instruction to us is to go and teach others the same his training method was to start an intentional program, an apprenticeship program, where he invited people to walk alongside him, to live alongside him, to work with him, to partner with him in ministry, and learn to do the things he did. And his last instruction was, keep doing this. As you go on, keep walking with people, and learning the ways with people, and teaching people my ways, and keep doing the things that I've taught you to do. And that's what we're about here. In this church, we are aiming to deliver on the Apprenticeship to Jesus program, Winchester Vineyard Branch. Okay? We are all about spending time with Jesus, learning to be with him, learning to become like him, and learning to do the things that he did. If we're going to consecrate ourselves for anything, if we're going to deliberately put aside time for anything, and deliberately think about our focus for anything, it's so that we can be with him 
so that we become like him and so that we can do the things he did. So that's all very well. You might have heard that before. Why, Nigel, are you using the phrase apprentice instead of the phrase disciple? Because they actually do both mean the same thing. Well, they mean the same thing in their original context, yes. But I suspect that for some people in our culture, the word disciple has perhaps lost some of its impact that it would have had in Jesus' times. So, for example, if you've grown up in the church, you may be led to believe that the, the phrase discipleship, what that means for you or for somebody, it might, I think we've got a bit confused with what this word means. For some people, discipleship means having a one-to-one Bible study. For some people, the phrase discipleship means having a mentoring relationship with somebody else who's a more mature believer. And for some people, discipleship means a leadership training course. Now, none of those things are wrong. All of those things are great things, and they're all very valuable, and they're all very important. But the truth is, none of those three things actually captures the essence of what Jesus meant when he talked about being disciples. They're not what Jesus had in mind when he was calling to them. When he was saying, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and walk with me. When he was saying that, he didn't mean come to me and we will sit down and have a one-to-one Bible study each week for a few weeks and then you're on your own, kid. He didn't mean that. He didn't mean come to me and I will train you to be a leader. He meant come to me and walk with me. I love the translation of that passage, which is from Matthew 11. In the message, it says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, how many of you just, because this is what my experience, whenever I read those words, how many of you just go, oh, yes? <laughs> or is it just me? Because I love what that passage implies, and I love the way that Eugene Peterson, God bless him, he died the other week, who translated this. I love the way that he, um, that he translates this. As an aside, did you hear one of the last things he said was, let's go. He was 85, an amazing man of God. Anyway, I love the way that he translated this. I'm going to read it again. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love what that implies. Come and hang out with me. Come and learn the way I do stuff. The unforced rhythms of grace. If you think about what the opposite of that is, it's the forced rhythms of law. The forced rhythms of the culture around us. The forced rhythms of other people's expectations. The forced rhythms of our own insecurity and what that does to us. I mean, how many of us choose or find ourselves going that way instead of Jesus' way. So when Jesus called disciples, this is what he was talking about. This is what he had in mind. 
And so in the same way as Jesus borrowed the concept of discipleship from his culture, I wonder if it's appropriate for us to borrow the phrase apprenticeship from our contemporary culture. Because I think in today's culture, it gets us closer to the original concept that Jesus had in mind. Apprentice, the word apprentice just seems to better capture the meaning or essence of what this is all about. An apprentice, as I've said, is someone who is learning from a master craftsman. It implies a journey, a walking alongside. It's not a quick fix. It's not a five-week training program and we're there and we're done and we're off. It implies community. It implies relationship. It implies being real. It implies doing the challenging things and working through the hard stuff in proximity with other people and with Jesus. It implies working together. And it does imply that there is an end goal. If you're an apprentice plumber, it is expected at some point that down the line that you will graduate from the program and you will just be a plumber. If you're an apprentice chef, one day you'll dream about having your own restaurant and doing things the way you want. Not the way you want, but doing things the way you've learned. An apprentice is expected to do the things that the master does. And so the program or the journey of apprenticeship is about walking alongside and growing and maturing so that we're ready to take on the responsibility for ourselves. What are those responsibilities? What is the way of Jesus? What are the things that he did that he expects us to do? I'm going to talk about this whole thing, unpack this a little bit more next week. But essentially, if you look at the Gospels, there are ten things that Jesus did. Ten things he did that I basically think that he is asking us to do. When he says, do what I do, these are the things he's talking about. He preached the gospel and he taught the way. By the way, I mean how to live life his way. In fact, the way was the name given to early Christians before they got the phrase Christian. Okay? Followers of the way was what they were called. Jesus taught, preached the gospel. He taught the way of Jesus. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He Oh, that should, that's a typo, sorry, I did this quickly. I shouldn't say east, it should say eat. He ate and drank with those who are far from God. He hung out with people who weren't necessarily believers, who weren't necessarily close to God. He deliberately went and hung out with them. He did justice. He was a peacemaker. He prayed and spent time with God. He prophesied and spoke the word of God. And he stood up against religious and political corruption where he found it. And I reckon that as apprentices to Jesus, first of all, we spend time with him. We learn how to be with him. And then we learn to do the things he did. We learn to be with him, we learn to be like him, and we do the things he did. If you are looking for a job description for life as a follower of Jesus, here it is. Here it is. I hope it scares you, because it scares me. Because I don't really want a comfortable ride. Because it's so dull. In Vineyard, we call this doing the stuff. Doing the stuff of the kingdom. Doing the stuff Jesus did. By the way, these aren't just the things that special people do. They're not just the things that leaders do or gifted people do. They're not just the things that evangelists do. These are the things that everybody who has chosen to be an apprentice to Jesus is expected to learn to do. Everyone gets to play. Say it with me. Everyone gets to play. I was going to say, turn to your neighbor, but I don't do that sort of stuff. Okay. <laughs> turn to your... No, no, never mind. 
John Wimber told a story about when he joined um, the church that he was in many years ago. John Wimber, if you don't know, is the guy who started the vineyard movement. He, he, got, set, he got converted, he um, became a follower of Jesus, and he read the Bible, and he read the Gospels. And he essentially found all of this stuff, and he went to his church leaders, and he said, I've got a question, I'm loving this, I'm loving um, being a follower of Jesus, and I like being part of this church, but when do we get to do the stuff? And the church leader said, well, what stuff? What are you talking about? He said, the stuff that's in the book. He said, what are you talking about? He said, well, look, when I read the stuff, when I read the book, I read that Jesus did all this kind of stuff. He healed the gospel. He, sorry, he healed the gospel? He healed the sick and preached the gospel. He hung out with people who weren't believers. He cast out demons. He stood up for things that were wrong. When do we get to do the stuff? And the response that Wimber was met with in that church in the late 60s was, we don't do it. We just talk about it. He said, well, uh, that's not good enough for me. He told another story. Uh, he, was in, he was in the church, and, um, and some pretty crazy stuff went off in the church. Some fairly dramatic things happened. The Holy Spirit came, manifestations of God, all sorts of things. And it was, a, it was quite a new thing at the time. And he said that he went home, and he came back the following week. And as he was um, coming back to church the following week, um, some people came up to him and said, just how far is this thing going to go? And he said, and I looked at them, and they had a big Bible under their arm. And he said, and in an inspired moment, I said, it'll only go as far as that book. And he said, and they went away satisfied. And Wimber said, and they were satisfied with that answer? Have you read this book? <laughs> I'd be scared if I had read this book. I'm expected to do all of these things. Now put your hand up and tell me, honestly, who isn't slightly scared when you read that? Who isn't? Nobody. Exactly. Who looks at that and goes, what, I'm expected to do that? Fear and trepidation? Yes. Okay. What would the impact be if we all did this stuff every day as part of what we do in our lives? What would the impact be in our lives? What would the impact be in the communities around us? Joe already mentioned that last week was Community Sunday and we were out doing things. How many of you managed to go out and in some way bless somebody who's not part of the church in the community or you're part of? Just put your hand up if you did that. Fantastic. Well done. Bless you. The rest of you, that's your challenge for this week. Okay? Just because you skipped on last week and stayed in bed or whatever it is you did, right? <laughs> did I say that? Oh, no. Sorry. <laughs> Pardon? Keep to the notes. Yeah, I'll keep to the notes. Okay. We were out treasure hunting. I have never... I've talked about treasure hunting a lot. My wife's done it a lot, and I've been around people who've done it. But I've never done it for myself before last week. So we sat... And, and I have to tell you, I was, in, I was knackered, and I was in a pretty grumpy mood. It's true, isn't it? And I came, I came here, and two of my children were with me. And so I thought, I'd better show willing and be a good example. So we sat, and we prayed, and we said to God, who do you want us to meet? Who is it? What is your treasure for us today? And, uh, and I just sort of try, I tried to pray and try to listen to God. And all I had in my mind was a picture of um, a, 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 it's like a, a, a walker's jacket, a gray, or, a gray or blue sort of outdoor walking jacket. And as I looked, I thought, oh, okay, I could see a pair of walking boots. So I wrote those down. And then I imagined, oh, that's, that'll be somebody who's like a walker. I imagined them having a rucksack on, and I imagined it being a bloke. And I saw them up at the top end of town above the Buttercross. And that, so I wrote all these things down. And I thought, well, God, do you want me to meet this person or not? So off we went, and we took chocolates with us, which made it easy, because I can do that. That's quite easy. Going up to stall holders and saying, hey, have a good day. God bless you. Have a chocolate. 
fine, carry on. We did all that. And I kind of wor- worked my way up the high street and I got to the buttercross and I thought, right, I will look and see if this person is there, this walker that I'm looking for. And I'm looking around and there's a couple of people sitting around. And my eyes were drawn to one family um, and um, there was a mum and the dad and a toddler in a pushchair. And I noticed that the mum had a grey-blue walker's jacket on and a pair of walking boots on. And I went, oh, it's a woman. <laughs> that was my first... I imagined it, but anyway, I thought, okay, is that, is that my treasure? Is this the right thing? So I went up to her and, uh, and her family, and I offered them a chocolate, and they said, uh, no, thank you. And I said, okay, um, well, this is going to sound a bit weird, but um, I'm a Christian, and uh, we're out doing Community Sunday today. Normally we're in church, but we're out today. And uh, when we prayed this morning, I asked God if he had anything, any, what his treasure was. And look, I wrote these things down, and it says grey blue jacket and grey boots. And so that's what you have on, and I'm just wondering if you're God's treasure today. And then I thought, oh, heck, what have I done? <laughs> I'm going to look so stupid now. Just being honest with you, right? And I said, so, she was sort of like, I said, so is there anything I could pray for for you today? At which point her eyes filled up with tears. And she said, well, actually, we have another child, another, but she touched her womb and said, we have another child on the way. And I just really want everything to go well. That was all she said. I don't know what the story was behind that. And I said, so she said, so yes, you could pray for me. I said, okay, I'd love to. So I just literally prayed a very quick 30-second prayer and walked away going, yes, yes, yes. You can challenge me about whether I do it again. Don't, thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's all about, but, it, but it's, I mean, it's scary, but it's so easy, you know? Jesus had a whole crowd of apprentices who were traveling around with him and learning his way. I mean, he probably had a hundred. Don't be fooled by the fact that there were 12 apostles, 12 who he called disciples or 12 who he called apostles. They were effectively Jesus' leadership training group that he was training up. But there were plenty of others who were following him around and hanging around with him and deliberately learning what it was to be with him, what it was to become like him and what it was to do the things he did. We read in Luke 10 about how he sent out 72 of these people. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out as lambs like wolves. Verse 8, when you enter a town and you're welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal those who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. It doesn't say pray for them. It doesn't say do a treasure hunt. It just says heal them. I love that. That's a different bit of teaching. So Jesus sent out a whole crowd of the people who were hanging around him and said, now it's your turn to start stepping out in this stuff. Do it. Go and do it. These were the people who were hanging around Jesus, the apprentices. And as well as those apprentices or those disciples, the gospel writers only use one other word to describe all of the people that used to hang around Jesus, and that is the crowds. You were either in the apprenticeships, you were either in the apprentices, or you were in the crowd. And the crowd that we read about in the Gospels are a really mixed bunch. It's hard to know exactly where they stand. Some of them are friends of Jesus, and some of them are full-on enemies of Jesus who are basically plotting his murder. So the crowd, we don't really know where they are. There are people who are 
like him and are close to him. There are people who are many miles away and trying to attack him and all kinds of people in between. And so basically, as far as I can, I can see, in the, in the Gospels, you can only read about two types of people hanging around Jesus. Either you were an apprentice or you were in the crowd. Now, in our church culture in the West, we have made it possible for there to be a third category of people in church or people hanging around Jesus. And I think, unfortunately, we call them Christians. And the word Christian has a whole bunch of different meanings to different people. Now, whatever it means to you, it might not mean the same to somebody else. In certain parts of the UK and the US, the word Christian has just come to represent someone who has a vague religious belief, who has a sporadic attendance at church, and some kind of basic moral standpoint. And unfortunately, some people, particularly those in the US, use that as a basis then to take a stand on a, political, a particular political or cultural viewpoint. Now, I'm not getting into that, and I'm not getting into judging people for their actions either. It's just that I don't see anywhere in the Bible that that's what a Christian is. I can't find a description of a Christian in the Bible where it says you just kind of vaguely go along to church and vaguely identify with this cultural group. I can't find that. It's an, a, a passive lifestyle and not an active one. It doesn't look like being in the crowd and it doesn't look like being an apprentice to Jesus or a disciple. And it's a very low bar compared to the way of life that Jesus is living and teaching and inviting us into. So um, you may know who, the, who Marcus Mumford is. He's um, the lead singer of a band called Mumford and & Sons and also related to John and Ellie Mumford, who lead, used to lead the Vineyard Movement. Anyway, Marcus Mumford, the front man of multi-award winning mum, band Mumford & Sons, was interviewed by Rolling Stone magazine when he first got out, uh, when he first sort of made it big. And he was asked, do you consider yourself a Christian? And Marcus, who's grown up in the church with pastors as leaders, said, I don't really like the word. It comes with so much baggage. So no, Marcus said, I wouldn't call myself a Christian. I just think it conjures up all these religious images that I don't really like. Of course, the Christian press got all a bit fired up about that and said, who is this guy? What's he talking about? And then last year, when he was, um, he was actually doing a brilliant interview at the Holy Trinity Brompton Leaders Conference at the Albert Hall, and just in the introduction to the interview, he was interviewing a couple of people who'd been in some incredibly difficult situations um, but the first thing he said was just let me get one thing straight he said I just want to say this I love Jesus and I always will right and so my point there is that it's possible to be a Christian and neither be in the crowd or be an apprentice to Jesus culturally do you understand what I'm saying culturally it's possible to call yourself a Christian but not to have taken the step to be an apprentice or a disciple to Jesus the apprentices were the people who, come, who have come and responded to the call of Jesus. The apprentices are the ones who've heard that, come with me, walk with me, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The apprentices are the ones who are spending more time with Jesus and learning to be like him and doing the things he does. They are committed, they are intentional, they are in it for the long haul and they are expected to get involved and go and do the stuff. They are the people who see Jesus up close and personal, who get to share in all the adventures, who get to see all the miracles, and ultimately be part of the kingdom transformation adventure. Do you want to be part of that? Because I really do. And the alternative to that is if you're not an apprentice, then you're in the crowd, according to the Gospels. The crowd are people who are somehow attracted to Jesus, although some of them probably don't know why. In the crowd, you've got people who have heard something good about this man. 
There's something about the way he is. There's something about what he teaches. There's something about what he does, the miracles he performs, the stories he tells. And I need a bit more of that in my life. Maybe they need a miracle in their life. Maybe they even get a miracle in their life from hanging around Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. The crowd is a really good place to be if you are trying to find out more. The crowd is a really good place to observe Jesus from. If you don't want to get involved, there is safety in crowds. You can hide there. It's usually not a threatening place to be. And there isn't any commitment involved, so you can come and go as you please. But ultimately, if you want more than what you get from just being in the crowd and observing Jesus and catching the occasional miracle, then there is some kind of response needed. And a journey needs to happen at which point where you go, actually, I'm not going to be in the crowd anymore. I'm going to be an apprentice. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to follow a program. I'm going to take an active stance. I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to take a step out of the crowd and a step closer to Jesus. I had to make that decision for myself. At one point in my early 20s, I would basically brought up a Christian. You've probably heard me say this before. I followed Jesus for all my life. I brought up with my parents' faith and I got to university and I kind of basically drifted in my faith. I don't think I ever lost it. I never decided that I didn't like God. I never decided he didn't exist or anything like that. But I got to the point where I realized I was going to have to make a decision that I was either all in or all out because I knew enough about this faith in Jesus to know that you can't just do this thing half-heartedly and passively. There was no point in calling myself a Christian. There was no point in even going to church if I wasn't going to fully be committed and fully jump into this thing. And I had to do that. And I said to God one day, that's what I'm here for. I'm in. I'm in. I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. I want to become like you. And I want to do the things you're doing. How do we do that? There are three simple steps. If you want to move from being in the crowd to being an apprentice, I suggest three simple steps. Number one, make a public declaration. Tell people what you're doing. If you haven't been baptized, be baptized. Yes, it's symbolic, but yes, it's also public. It's a way of saying to, some, saying to the people around you, this is the intention that I'm going to live my life with. If you're perhaps baptized as a baby or something like that, and you need to feel the need to make an, another public declaration, find a way to do that. Tell people. Give your testimony. Come and talk to me. I would love to hear. Make it known to the people around you that this is the kind of life I want to lead. Number two, join a community of apprentices. It doesn't have to be this church. It doesn't have to be a church that meets like this on a Sunday morning. It could be a small group. It could be it could be wherever or wherever, okay? But do join a community. Don't try and do this thing on your own. It's almost impossible to learn apprenticeship to Jesus on your own. It's much better to do it in community for a whole host of reasons. Ideally, you'd be looking for people who've been on this journey longer than you, who have a level of experience and wisdom that will help you on your way. What does that look like around here? I'm going to come back to that in a second. But thirdly, systematically reorganize your life to be more like Jesus. This is the everyday process of apprenticeship or discipleship. We do this thing together. We do it gradually. We change incrementally. When stuff comes up, we bring it to God. We allow him to change us. We allow him to work within us. 
There are practices and disciplines that we've talked about in this church a few times and we'll come back to in the next few weeks that will really help us. But essentially, this is, we're not on our own. This is a journey that we do together. What would it be if we all lived this out? What would the impact be in our lives if we were doing these? And what would the impact be in the lives of the people around us? Just go back to that slide that I showed you earlier. This one. What would it be? I mean, Jesus had less than 100 people for less than three years. And yet he managed to do something that changed the world and lasted for 2,000 plus years. All right? Some of us have been sat in the crowd for well over three years. What would it be if we raised the bar on our own lives and joined Jesus' apprenticeship program? What would that look like for us? What would that look like for each of us? What would it look like if we did the things that Jesus did? Imagine the impact in our friendship groups and our workplaces and our schools and our colleges and neighborhoods. And lastly for this morning, and I'm going to develop these themes next week, what does it look like to join this community? If you are somebody who's been coming along here for a while and you've decided that this is your church, this is where God's put you, this is the community of faith or that you want to be part of, that being an apprentice to Jesus, this is the place that you want to learn that stuff, then I just want to go back over and just, just let you know for two minutes what it looks like to join this community. We talk about this at our newcomers' welcome meals every term or so, but maybe you've missed out on that. You see, if you want to join this community, what that looks like is what we call functional membership. And there are five things that we would expect people to do and invite people to do. And one of them would be to worship with us on a Sunday service, either this morning or in the evening. And you're already here for that. The second thing we would invite people to do is to join a life group. Because you can't really do this conversation, do this community in this environment. It's a bit tricky. It's much better if we walk with people day to day. Now, it might be that a conventional life group or one of our ones that we're running doesn't suit you. In other words, um, in that case, make your own. you know. But get some people and join a community. The third thing is to become a host by joining a team. And I'm going to come back to that in just a second. The fourth thing is to buy in financially and give in the way that the Bible instructs to give. And the fifth thing is to invite others to experience Jesus' love and power for themselves. That's what it looks like to join this community. If you want to be an apprentice to Jesus and you want to do that in the context of Winchester Vineyard Church, that's what being part of the community looks like. And so today as we finish... We're going to put a focus on this thing about joining a team. It's just going to have a very practical finish for the last 10 minutes or so. Because today we want to offer you an opportunity, if you haven't already, to get involved in one of our teams. If you are part of this family, then there are things that we all need to do to make life happen well. You know, our daughter came home last week for a few days. She's recently moved away from home. And she came back and it was lovely to see her. But unfortunately for her, she still had to get involved in the washing up and the clearing up. And all the stuff that we have to do when we sit and do family together. She didn't get a pass out just because she doesn't live with us anymore. And it's kind of the same here. If you've decided this is your church and this is the community that you want to be in, then you've got an opportunity to join a team here and to move from being a guest, which you're welcome to be as long as you need to be, but once you've decided that you, this is your place, to move from being a guest to being a host. What would the impact be if all of us did that? Joe's just going to come and finish up and give us an opportunity to think that through. And practically to join the team this morning.